We draw our text from our upcoming Wednesday night, so why don't you turn to Matthew 5. One of the favorite old stories I like, um, and whether it's true or not, I don't know, maybe it's a parable kind of story, but, but um, there was a foggy night out on the seas, and um, the captain uh, of a big ship, you know, saw a little faint light kind of off in the distance, um, and, uh, you know, he instructed his signalman, hey, go and contact that other ship by uh, our signal light, you know, the kind of a Morse code signal light kind of thing. So he sent this message, change, change your course 10 degrees to the north. I you know, didn't wanna collide with some vessel or something. The reply came back, change your course 10 degrees to the south. Well, the captain responded, I'm a captain of the United States Navy and you need to change your course 10 degrees to the north. They signaled to the other little light off in the distance. The response, I'm a seaman first class. You change your course 10 degrees to the south. At this time, you know, the captain is furious uh, and he instructed the signalman reply, he said, I'm a battleship, you change your course 10 degrees to the north. The reply came back, change your course 10 degrees to the south. I'm a lighthouse. <laughs> Have you ever been stubborn and thinking you're right? Uh, but that's not the lesson of this. What I, what I do love is the idea, and, and many of us do, there's something about a lighthouse that's kind of cool. I don't know about you guys, but when I see a lighthouse, uh, on, the, on the shoreline somewhere, on the Oregon coast, or, or anywhere for that matter. You know, a, a lighthouse sort of stands for something. It's secure, it's stable, it's usually built on a solid rock, even in the midst of a tumultuous sea. Uh, but it's there, um, you know, to light people that are in distress and to let people know which way to go. There's something about a lighthouse that's just kind of cool. Um, and, and uh, you know, today we don't really use them as much because we have, you know, the various technology that replaced it. But but in the same way, um, I like the imagery of light. Uh, there's something inviting and warm if you're out in the middle of a storm. There's nothing like a warm light glow to sort of uh, warm your heart. And, and there's something about that that's kind of cool. Well, as it turns out, Jesus is gonna employ that, that idea. And light is something that goes through millennia of time. People loved having light in their dwelling places, light a candle or a lantern or a lamp in your house. Uh, with oil and a wick, and it was part of the deal, and light was, was needed, and it was important. Um, and it's true, it's, so I love these analogies that Jesus gives us that are timeless. Last week, we looked at the first part of this discussion, and, and that is salt. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth, S-A-L-T-S, um, or you know, that we need to be scriptural, uh, and A, aggressive, L, loving, uh, but B, a T, pardon me, is to be truthful. And that's uh, salt, S-A-L-T. Um, and, and being salty, and I, I, I wanna ask you, while well, I have this opportunity, how'd you do last week? Were you saltier last week than you were the week before? Because honestly, one thing I always kind of worry about is, and, and this is my problem, so I, I recognize this, that I can listen to a lot of amazing sermons. I go, oh, wow, that's what a challenge. Amen, pastor. And then I go out the door and there's something that happens. And, and I think it's a magical eraser on these two double doors that are in churches. You, you go, oh, man, good sermon. And you walk out and all of a sudden, mm -hmm, your, your mind just kind of, and what happens? Let's go get Thai food. And, and you forget the whole thing. Like it's out the window. Uh, so I always like to remind, how did we do? Were you saltier as a Christian? By the way, I had a couple people, you know, message me and stuff, talk to me about how they, they did change some stuff. And there was some good stories about how the Lord covered and the Lord's doing some neat things. And man, it's time to be a saltier Christian. If the salt loses its flavor, Jesus said, it's good for nothing. And we learned that last week, to be trodden down or even thrown on the manure pile. That's what Jesus talked about. Um, and so we wanna be salty Christians, um, but we also learned that too much salt is not a good thing. If you pile a big pile of salt on your steak, it can ruin the steak. Um, so you gotta have just the right amount of salt, we learned, and, and that's kind of an important part of it. But as we think about salt, we have now the same context, but a different illustration. Jesus then says, you are the light. Let's take a look, Matthew chapter five. We take the next verse, uh, right after the one we did last week, Last week was verse 13. Let's pick it up in verse 14. Matthew 5, 14. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but put it on a candlestick and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works 
and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Interesting uh, about this because, you know, light is something that also you can have too much of. Just like too much salt ruins stuff, too much light can be a problem. So we have to wonder about what's Jesus saying? How much light do we project? And sh should, what do we need to do? What does that mean? Well, the, the idea of this light, I think it'd be good for us to ask some questions around this topic and then look at it scripturally about what, what it means to be the light of the world. First of all, number one question, we're just gonna give you five questions. Number one, have you noticed how dark it is lately? Um, you know, I remember teaching this years and years ago. I was looking at some of my old notes and stuff and, and um, uh, I, I was kind of shocked. I forget exactly what I said, but I asked a similar question, but only about 15 years ago when we were doing this at Athey Creek, talking about the dark and the light and all that. And I, I, um, I, I asked um, something like, you know, do you realize it's dark? Uh, and I thought that's not even appropriate anymore because I think everybody would be like, uh, well, of course, I think we're living in dark days. Um, it's almost so obvious, but I guess that's why I changed it a little bit to have you noticed how dark it is lately because it seems to be exponentially getting darker right in front of our eyes in the last couple of years. While it was only two years ago, we thought there were two genders. Um, and now we're cramming gender theory down children's throats. And, and, and I wonder if it's because, you know, as Christians being the light, the problem comes when we start to um, let our eyes get adjusted to the dark days we're living. And, and it maybe causes us to let our light dim or be covered because we're living in darkness and we get used to the dark. The question I would ask maybe is, are your eyes adjusted to the dark days? Because that's what happens. I see churches and Christians, even pastors talking like, well, you know, love is love. And so, you know, and, and, and they, we kind of cave on topics that the Bible actually says, no, that's sinful and wrong lifestyle and behavior. And yet people say, well, you know, it's, that's not that bad. Come on. You know, and, and, and we start to let our eyes get adjusted. It reminds me of a story when I was a kid. We didn't go to the movies hardly ever. I remember seeing like Star Wars and, uh, and you know, maybe that, that was kind of like one of the only movies we, but I remember a movie was gonna happen at a church on a Saturday afternoon. It was called Thief in the Night. Do you guys remember it was a church Christian movie? I brought the movie poster with me so that you could, it was, <laughs> if you saw the movie, it'll bring back memories. But um, it was a really scary movie and it wasn't because the rapture of the church is the styles and the bell bottoms and the big, giant lamb chops those guys had. And basically Napoleon Dynamite was the preacher, but um, that's a whole nother story. But we were gonna go see this movie and um, we were excited. So we got in our Volkswagen, my parents and my two sisters, we crammed in the Volkswagen and, and it was about an hour drive to Ashland, uh, Oregon, where we were going to this church to see the movie. So we got, there was a sunny summer afternoon. We got to the church just a few minutes late. The movie had already started. So we were in the foyer of the church and my dad said, okay, it's, they already start the movie. Kids, just go in, find a seat somewhere, uh, watch the movie, and then we'll meet back here at the foyer. Cause it was just kind of a, you know, mess. We didn't know where to sit and stuff. So, so we did that. Well, I walked in that room, but the problem is coming out of the bright, sunny summer afternoon, the sun shining ever so brightly, walking into a dark place where they were showing a movie, they blacked out the inside of the church, except for where the, the theater, you know, the movie projector was going on the wall. So there was some light there, but the rest of the room, because my eyes hadn't adjusted from the dark yet, I couldn't see a thing. And I thought, oh man, how am I gonna, I felt blind, you know? How am I gonna find a seat? So I just started kind of feeling my way around the, the room. And I, and I was so embarrassed because I, like, I was like touching people's faces. I was like, oh, sorry, sorry. And I bet they thought, oh, that poor blind kid, you know? I mean, because you know how when you're in the theater, you know, and you've been there for a while, you can see everything. You can see the aisles and the people, because your eyes are adjusted. But I literally couldn't see a thing. Well, I, I was getting frustrated because I couldn't find an empty seat and I was stumbling around and I fell over some guy's foot and, I, and then I got back up and as I was getting up, I looked and I saw, I saw the, the movie screen still lit up nice and bright, but this is a true story. I saw the silhouette of my dad and he was doing the same thing I was doing. <laughs> and, and, and I'm not kidding you, as I looked up, my dad was starting to fall over, but he didn't fall because he grabbed a guy by the tie and he was like, I, I'm not kidding. I saw the silhouette of my dad go, you know, and, and my dad, you know, six foot three. I mean, he's a big guy. And uh, so I just kind of thought, oh man, I just got to get out of here. And I was kind of freaked out as a, you know, six year old, seven year old kid. So I, you know, just started kind of getting back out and I saw the, the light cracked at the bottom of the doorway that we came through the back. So I bolted for that. By the time I finally made it through that back door, my whole family was in the foyer. 
we all had kind of a stunned look on our faces. I guess we'd all been through the same experience. So we got in the Volkswagen and drove home. <laughs> True story, we didn't see the movie that day. Um, now I'm sure the, the, the whole congregation there watching that movie thought, that poor blind family, you know? <laughs> we, we sort of laughed about it all the way home because it was ridiculous. You know, the whole story was ridiculous. But I, but I kind of want to be that person. I want to be that person when it comes to the dark things of this world. You know, I, I don't want to let my eyes adjust to the dark. I'd rather be a child, like the Bible says, of the light. Children of the light, like the Bible calls us. Um, and don't let your eyes, the Bible says, um, be excellent in what is good, innocent concerning evil. You know, it'd be great to have that kind of a thing where, man, we, we as Christians should be all about the light and not to let our eyes get adjusted to the dark because pretty soon it becomes commonplace and you become comfortable in the darkness with the darkness and pretty soon you find yourself living in the darkness and that's where the world is so sadly, um, you know, mostly today. Um, so all that to say our eyes get adjusted. Paul talks about this to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4 when he says, now the spirit speaketh expressly in the latter times, that's the end days, the end of the world. Some shall depart from the faith, we're seeing that in droves right now, uh, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies in hypocrisy. <clears throat> and then watch this, it says, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. That's getting your eyes adjusted to darkness. That's eh, not so bad. Your conscience, the conscience is the part of you that knows what is dark and evil but you start to get used to it and, and you sort of get calloused when it comes to things that are dark and you start approving things that are dark and, and even engaging then in things that are darkness. And that's one of the signs we're living in the last days. And I think we're seeing the church as a whole, corporately, we're, we're starting to let our conscience become seared. And so we don't, the pulpits aren't flaming with conviction anymore. And we're not speaking out against things that are actually sinful and wrong. We're trying to blend in with the darkness of the world. It's kind of a funny thing. Maybe this is a little too nuancy. I don't know. But, you know, I always thought, you know, and maybe this is just me. I don't know. This is an opinion. So I'm just going to give you that caveat. When I share an opinion, I like to let you know. But I'm of the opinion, when I go into church buildings, I'm always really uncomfortable. And I realized years and years ago, my problem, a lot of churches, they, they don't put a lot of windows in, in the room. And so like there's maybe in the old days, they had little thin stained glass, you know, strips and stuff, but you couldn't see outside. Um, but now modern churches, man, you don't want windows because there's video production and they want to, you know, black it out, make it a theater. And, and not only that, but they're, they're, they're making it a little less churchy and more rave party and they got the smoke coming off the stage and lights and it's a light show and stuff. And, and I think, wow, you know, for me, uh, that's more of the dark kind of vibe. Um, and so when we were building, you know, the church here, we thought, well, we're gonna build a warehouse. Let's tilt up concrete, put a, you know, warehouse roof on, nothing fancy. But I, I said, the one thing I really like to have is big windows in our church. And, and, um, and the architect said, churches don't do that. And I said, well, we're gonna do that. He said, oh, you really don't wanna do that. And we, we argued for a long time, uh, uh, friendly. It was a friendly argument, but uh, we, we sort of argued. And, um, and so I, we even kind of angled the building here so that it was kind of with the line of the sun so that we wouldn't get too much sun blasting. Too much light can be a problem in a sanctuary. But we, we, we kind of wanted to be able to have the view here out here. Well, it was great. When we got the walls tilted up and the roof built, um, Debbie and I and the architect walked through the building and we stood right in the middle of the sanctuary here and he looked down and he said, okay, Brett, this is a great idea. I like the windows. And he said, they're great. But, um, but you know, it's funny because uh, you'll notice a lot of churches really don't do that. And, and I'll tell you, part of me likes it just because people say, well, Brett, you just like the outdoors and light. And that's true. But I also think as children of the light, man, I think we should be a little different than the average rave party or club or bar. I'll never forget Mutt's Tavern. Mutt's Tavern, what's that? Well, when I was uh, younger, living down in Southern Oregon, I would drive from my work back to home and I'd always drive by this bar. And I, always, I was always kind of interested in this bar because it was a total dump. And it was sitting on this corner and it was sitting next to this big mill. And I had a bunch of friends who worked in the mill, the Medco, old Medco building there. And, um, and, um, and they would, after work, I think, a bunch of the guys would go into this dark, smoky bar. And man, you'd see kind of smoke puffing out. The, they'd always have the front door sort of open and smoke would be billowing. And you look in and there'd be some, some smoky lights and you just kind of go, eh, it'd be a nice sunny day. Like go float the river. Uh, do something fun. I mean, Southern Oregon had all kinds of fun outdoor. And you go home and be with your wife. 
wrestle with your kids, like have a good time. But I couldn't see why anybody in their right mind would go into that dark, smoky room after work. Um, and I think that I learned since then, there's other reasons people go into places like that. Mutt's Tavern. But what a waste of time. Uh, you know, I, I think that the world, you know, why, why are bars often very, very dark? I think there's reasons. When you're in there drowning your sorrows with alcohol, nobody wants to kind of see that with a light shining on you. Um, and also as you're messing around and sort of mingling, singling, hopefully you're single, but maybe you're mingling, and you don't really want to see the person that well that, that you're mingling with. The lights are like, ooh, I'm out of here, pure. So they dim the lights and, and you just go, oh, you know, he looks pretty attractive. She looks pretty, pretty, if you kind of cross your eyes and, and keep the lights nice and dim, everything, that's great. It's just kind of sad. But we are supposed to be children of the light. But all that to say, I, I think that we have to be really careful not to just say, oh yeah, darkness, darkness, whatever, and just get used to it. We need to recognize darkness for what it is. Man, Jesus talked about the dark days that we'd live when they asked Jesus, when's the end of the world? What's it gonna look like? And things like Jesus said, he said, things are gonna get dark, like wars and rumors of wars. Man, we are living in a day where there are all kinds of wars over on this planet and rumors of wars coming. That's probably the most concerning thing. North Korea just uh, uh, talked about how they're able to defend themselves just as of this last week against the United States nuclear attack and they've got their own defense, uh, nuclear weapons that way. That's what they framed it as. Um, Iraq announced just two weeks ago they have a bomb now, which is, if you're in our prophecy update, you know that's kind of a big deal in the world, uh, the geopolitics of the world. Um, did you notice this? Uh, this came out two days ago. Um, uh, China warns Pelosi trip marks invasion and military has right to fire on our plane. Uh, this picture I got was from this article. I, 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 just, I, just, I didn't choose that picture. Uh, but that's the look you'd have if your plane was getting fired on. I thought it was appropriate. Um, the Chinese Communist Party mouthpiece said on Friday that it could shoot down Democratic House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's plane if she makes a stop in Taiwan. Um, a move, they said, that's tantamount to an invasion. <laughs> yeah, Nancy Pelosi is an invasion. Uh, uh, I, I kind of agree with them on that one, but um, uh, <laughs> invasion on their island. She, they said if the U.S. fighter jets uh, escort Pelosi's plane in Taiwan, um, the PLA has a right to forcibly dispel Pelosi's plane. The U.S. fighter jets, including warning shots, making tactical movements of obstruction, and if ineffective, then shoot them down. That's pretty strong language for a superpower to be talking to a superpower in that way. The Axios article, Chinese invasion of Taiwan may come sooner than expected. Um, there's some interesting developments if you're following those news points um, and uh, you know, driving the news even this last couple of days, this came, this came from just two days ago, Chinese President Xi Jinping warned President Biden not to play with fire. Uh, over the Taiwan issue on Thursday, according to Chinese readout call between the two leaders. Remember that it was a long two hour and 15 minute call I think that Biden had. And one of the things that the president of China said was don't play with fire. But on and on, the, you know, the, the idea of Taiwan, Taiwan is very uh, sure that China's ready to attack. Just a few days ago, they were running drills and they have been running drills the Taiwan military, uh, a five-day exercise to simulate a Chinese invasion, uh, and they're, they're doing this on a regular basis, uh, these kind of drills, because they're worried that Chinese is gonna attack Taiwan. Now, if you think that's no big deal, it is a big deal, mainly because Taiwan, well, it's a sovereign nation, at least it should be considered that way, but China doesn't look at it that way. And they also produce most of our uh, electronic chips and what have you. Uh, you think we're having a, a, a you know, shortage on chips. Maybe you ordered a vehicle and it hasn't come yet because they don't have the computers for them. Uh, you know, my, you know you, whatever, you're, there's, there's jet skis. I know people that have jet skis that are waiting. They bought them a year ago, but, but then they, they don't have the computer chips yet. Uh, there's, there's jet skis sitting at the store where they get the motorcycles and stuff and the wires are still hanging out of the handlebars waiting for computers. Like that's, that's because chips, you know, it's, uh, and if, if Taiwan gets turned over to China, then that's gonna be an interesting thing. But just war and rumors of wars, that's just becoming commonplace. You and I, you know, with the Russian, Ukrainian issue, <clears throat> we're sitting around going, oh, more wars, more, more wars, you know, and it's become normal. Excuse me, but we need to understand that's part of the, the darkness of the days we're living. But it's not just wars between nations. Um, can I mention probably one of the darkest things that I think is going on today is war on children. 
We're seeing a war on children like no other time. And the world, I'm shocked. Uh, it's hard to shock me because I've been watching news and stuff and part of this for a long time, but I'm, I'm stunned to see what we're doing with children. And most of the, the world seems to be just sitting like, yeah, whatever. And what do you mean? Well, just even our local city journal article from Portland, Portland in the sexual revolution starts in kindergarten, starts the sexual revolution in kindergarten. That was the, the title of this uh, local article. It says, Portland public schools have launched a war against gender binary. That's that old school thought of thinking there were actually two genders, uh, something we believed for thousands of years up until a couple weeks ago. Now they're saying, you know, they're warring against that sort of notion and adopted a, a radical new curriculum teaching students to subvert the sexuality of white colonizers. That's part of this, this language of the Portland School District. Um, beginning uh, uh, to explore the infinite gender spectrum. Um, and this uh, author uh, obtained a, a cache of documents from a source inside Portland Public Schools and they were exposing what the Portland Public Schools agenda is and it's, it's pretty radical. The lessons uh, seek to turn principles of academic queer theory into an identity formation program for elementary students being adopted already in districts uh, K through five classroom. Uh, they're starting in kindergarten now with this, kindergartners. In the first and second grade, students are introduced to the key tenets of gender theory, uh, identity theory. They say this, this is a quote from the curriculum. Gender is something adults came up with to sort, of, to sort people into groups. The curriculum states this, and it says, many people think there are only two genders, girls and boys, but this is not true. There are many ways to be a boy, a girl, both, or neither. This is part of the curriculum in your Portland public schools now. It's been adopted. So, you know, we're, we're seeing this cram down children's throats, something that's so wacko and so wrong. And, and really, if you read your Bible, you know, it has, it goes the opposite of what God actually said. God created the male and female. Like the Bible says that over and over. Jesus said that. God said that in the very beginning of Genesis. Um, it's part of God's creation, but the world is in rebellion against God's creation. That's part of the dark days we're living. So you got the sex ed curriculum, you got, you got children uh, uh, attending drag shows now, and, and we're celebrating that. Even in Newburgh, we were doing this, as close as Newburgh. Uh, why Newburgh? Like, that's kind of a weird thing that we're, we think, oh yeah, Newburgh's a good place to have a drag show and have children present and make that all cool. Um, but you know, the darkest of all dark when it comes to children has to be the abortion issue. Um, and uh, you know, it's, I, I know you say, well, Brett, you're just beating that drum. Well, it's an interesting uh, topic to me, and I'm concerned about it because 63 million children have been killed since Roe versus Wade, and we should be caring about that. The Bible teaches that the baby in the mother's womb is a person that God loves and cares about and is forming in the mother's womb, and it's a life. Whether you uh, believe that or not, uh, it, it doesn't even take a rocket scientist. All you have to do is look at the science of what's happening. You know, it's, it's amazing the double standard our culture has. You know, if a, if a woman with a baby is killed, and if the baby is killed inside her, her stomach, it can be counted as a double homicide. So one side of our culture says, well, that's two people. Um, we, we have doctors, the same doctors in the same hospitals, you know, will do an in vitro surgery on a child and do uh, surgical procedures on a life in the mother's womb to save its life. And then the next room over, they're pulling that same baby out and cutting it into pieces and trying to get rid of that life. It's such a, I mean, how could they live with themselves knowing what's really going on there scientifically? But, but these are dark days um, and we are, we are doing stuff that is horrific, if you ask me, as it relates to children today. Um, you know, oh Brett, I don't like how, you need to be more like Jesus and be more compassionate and kind. And they marveled at Jesus' gracious words. Oh, I love that part of Jesus. I love that he was gracious and kind and, and kids liked Jesus. And there's so much I love about Jesus and his kindness and compassion. But if you're saying that, you really don't know Jesus very well. Um, what about this one? Mark chapter nine, verse 42. And whosoever shall offend one of these little ones that believe in me, it is better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he were cast into the sea. That's pretty strong words, wouldn't you say? Is that compassion and kindness that you're talking about? No, no, uh, this, is, this is wrong. Um, <clears throat> there's all kinds of evils that are going on in the world. Did you see, <clears throat> and, I, and this is something that might be a little self-serving because for years I've been trying to raise the red flag as carefully as I can because this is a very sensitive subject. 
But I always get the most heat when I start talking about some of these uh, medications that, that were just cramming down the throats of Americans. So many people on these meds. And, and it's not just me, it's, it's medical science that said, yeah, way too many people, far too many people are on these uh, you know, serotonin level altering drugs. And I've been warning about that. Now, my, my, always my, and I'd still stand by this, um, if your doctor is telling you to do something, here's what you do, you, you pray about that. Seek the Lord first and see if the Lord gives you a piece about whatever meds he's prescribing or she's prescribing to you. You, you, you need to be careful about that. Don't just mindlessly do what they're telling you to do because some of these drugs we should not be on. Now, there's a place for those. And, but, but here's what's, what's funny is I've been warning about depression, particularly how um, depression, the world looks at it as, as strictly biological and the Bible sort of treats de- depression as something that's more of a spiritual issue. Um, and it's something where you gotta press in and seek the Lord and, and be like, oh, that's, no, you shouldn't do that. There's a, there's a chemical imbalance and that's what everybody crashes when I talk about chemical imbalance. Did you see the articles that have come out this last week? This is a big deal. Uh, some studies have been done recently. In fact, this, you can look at anywhere, find this if you just search for it. But um, this comes from SciTech Daily. Scientists find no evidence that depression is caused by chemical imbalance or low serotonin levels. They've been saying this for 30 years, by the way. Um, and the question you have to ask, and this is something most people aren't thinking about or asking, but why would they be cramming chemical imbalance and low serotonin levels down our throats for the last 30 years? Um, uh, this article says, after decades of research, there remains no clear evidence that serotonin levels or serotonin activity are responsible for depression, according to comprehensive review of prior research um, that was led by the University College London, UCL scientist. The major new umbrella review, um, an overview of an existing meta-analysis and system, uh, systematic reviews was published on July 20th of this month in the Journal of Molecular Psychiatry. It suggests that depression is not likely caused by a chemical imbalance and calls into question what antidepressant medications actually do. This is because most antidepressants are selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, SSRIs, which were originally said to function by correcting abnormally low serotonin levels. In fact, there's no other accepted pharmacological mechanism by which antidepressants affect the system of dep- symptoms of depression. Uh, the point is, um, they're ca- calling into question not only is serotonin the culprit of depression, but they're also starting to say, is there even such thing as a chemical imbalance? Um, one of the things that these studies brought out, and I find this interesting, is they're realizing that um, sun, sunshine, is actually uh, proven to be more effective in helping people that are depressed than these serotonin SSRIs that are out there. And uh, uh, those of us that are in Portland, we're toast, sorry. Um, <laughs> except for a few months, you know, we get the vitamin D. But they're saying, in fact, one study I saw last week said, yeah, you gotta get out in the sun and do not put on sunscreen. Like, go out. <laughs> like it's, it's kind of funny, it's an exact opposite narrative. But why would they, why would they be pushing these things? And, and why was this study, as they're finding out the study 30 years ago that talked about chemical imbalance and serotonin levels, why would they push that if it wasn't really even l- legitimately discovered? The answer is money. It's so simple. Uh, the pharma- pharmaceutical um, you know, corporations make billions and billions and billions of dollars. And uh, man, they've got the perfect thing where they can you know, use these drugs and get people to where they kind of have to have the drugs. And, and man, if you got all of America uh, medicated, you're making billions and billions and billions of dollars. And it's causing all kinds of ripple effect trub- troubles. I've been talking about this one for years too. But Newsweek came out with this a few years ago, how depression medication is polluting the ocean and altering the behaviors of sea creatures. Do you guys remember, by the way, the study that came out from Portland State University about the Willamette River? Did you guys see that study maybe 10 years ago? That what, here's, what, here's what the study found, this is scary, um, that there are all these medicines that people are on, they can find trace elements in the Willamette River. And why? Because after you take your medicines or throw them away in the toilet or whatever, um, but they believe most of it comes through your body into the, you know, the, the water treatment system, if you know what I'm saying. And then those trace amounts, aren't, they aren't able to filter them out in the water, water filtration pro, uh, processes. And so much of these meds, a lot of them, uh, there's major elements. One of the biggest elements they found in the Willamette River was estrogen. 
Um, and that, they believe that came from all the estrogen meds that people are taking and, and on. Um, and they found, this is the Portland State University, they found that the male fish were starting to demonstrate female fish characteristics. Now they probably don't believe in male and female fish um, <laughs> here in Portland. Uh, uh, the fish just goes by, hey, like whatever. It's like, um, what, what does a female fish look like? I, or you know, male that's kind of demonstrating female characteristics, I don't know. I don't know what that looks like, but apparently they were saying, we gotta kind of clean that up. But we are on so many meds, this article said that it's, it's going into our ocean and changing the way sea creatures act. There's one example of this where these little, um, uh, little um, uh, crabs that are coming up on the coast, um, the drugs it seems makes crabs more defiant toward other animals that may prey upon them. As a result, they're more likely to be caught by their predators. So um, it's, it's lowering the population of our crabs because they're too bold with people that, or things that like to eat crabs. Um, sounds like people too. Anyway, um, we're overdosed, we're overmedicated, and it's all because of greedy um, you know, uh, corporations that just wanna cram their meds down our throats. And, and I think we're, we're seeing that not only with uh, antidepressants, but perhaps even stuff like uh, vaccines and stuff that are being crammed down our throats as well. And I could go on and on. The violence in Portland, did you know there's been 670 shootings so far in 2022? 670 shootings in our town. Um, 41 of them were official homicides, according to the Portland P Police Bureau. Um, around our country, the signature crimes of most violent drug cartels of Mexico are now coming into the United States and we're seeing the same kind of violent crimes here. And you know it's a cartel crime because of beheading and dismemberment. That's one of their signatures of the cartels and we're seeing that more and more. And our, uh, uh, we've seen it in gang members being killed, military personnel, uh, uh, public officers, uh, random kidnappings, killings of civilians who get caught by this uh, butchery really and bloodletting by the, the cartels. It's just a dark, dark word, world and I could go on and on. It's getting darker and darker. That's why I'm so thankful and I hope you are too. You and I, we have a great advantage. We are not followers of the dark, we're followers of the light. And, and Jesus is the one who uh, made it clear for us that you know um, we're not to be children of the light. I love that Jesus made this claim. He said, I am the light of the world. Jesus made that declaration. So you and I get to follow the light. And if you're following the light of Christ, everything that's dark, you kind of see it for what it is. How do you expose the darkness? See, the thing that's missing from much of our world's perspective, when you look at somebody's ideology and you realize, wow, that's dark. Why would they think it's okay to cram sexuality down a kindergartner's throat? That's just dark. But if you're not a follower of the light and you've been living in the darkness, you think, oh, that's wonderful. And you think it's something good. There, there are people that are living in darkness. Um, and the world loves darkness. Jesus talked about men love the darkness because their, their deeds are evil. That's what Jesus talked about. The book of Job has some interesting comments, I thought, on this one. Job chapter 21, verse 17, how oft the candle of the wicked is put out, and how oft cometh their destruction upon them. Job 24, 13, there are those that rebel against the light. They know not the ways thereof, nor abide in the paths thereof. Job 24, 16, in the dark they dig through houses which they had marked for themselves in the daytime. They know not the light. And that's the point, the world doesn't recognize the light. They run from it and they do their evil, wicked, dark deeds and they could care less about it because they don't have Christ, the, the lighthouse, the solid rock that we can put our feet on and stand and, and, and probably um, that's where we kind of have to realize a lot of the sinful places are dark places. I often wondered if what would happen if that much tavern, what would happen if I walked in and just poof, turned on the light switch? Hey everybody, Pastor Brett's here. <laughs> uh, what would happen? The couple, you know, off in the corner drinking their little martinis or whatever. They're like, <laughs> you know, and they're like bugs coming out of a rock. Are you one of those people? Man, there's a better way. There's a better lifestyle than living in the darkness. And sadly, I think there's so many people that are, that are living in darkness. You know, it's, it's said butterflies like the light, cockroaches like the dark. What are you gonna do? Who are you gonna be? Um, so have you noticed this dark lately? If you haven't, and if you're like, no, that stuff's all great, you might need to turn on the light switch. That's something that I would recommend. We'll talk more about that. So number one, have you noticed how dark it is lately? Number two, 
do you know where to plug in? First of all, you gotta plug in. Uh, this is a little bit of a lifestyle uh, tech support. Um, some of you young people know what this is like when you're helping grandma when she got her first computer. computer you know, uh, How do you work this gadget? You know, these fancy gadgets. And you're like, okay, grandma. Um, and you start talking, you know, well, have you opened up, you know, and have, you, have you opened this file folder? Well, I, I don't see anything on the screen. Okay, grandma, have you plugged the computer in? <laughs> Remember that? You know, some of you guys had to deal with that, with, especially when computers were first kind of out. Uh, oh, yeah, oh, that's a good idea. Okay, plugged it in. Now, grandma. Have you turned the computer on? Now, I'm not condescending. I'm just saying uh, some of that new gadgetry. Well, in some way, I kind of feel spiritually we need to do that for some people today. And so I asked the question, are you plugged in? Because the source of power is really key. If you're not plugged into the source of power, then you will not be a child of the light. You'll wonder, where are the lights? Why aren't the lights on? And, and why are you comfortable more and more with the darkness? Why are your eyes getting adjusted? You have to ask those questions. So where's the source? The Bible kind of talks about it in sort of a uh, end around kind of way. Uh, the first source of light of power that I want to talk about is not disconnected from the second, uh, but it's kind of an interesting progression. Psalm 119 verse 105 says, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Man, we need that today. The word of God, here's your flashlight right here that tells you what's light and what's dark, what's right, what's wrong, what's good, what's evil. Um, it gets us through this dark world. But not disconnected from the word of God is also the main source of power, and that is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the word, the word is Jesus. Remember John chapter one, verse one, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And then in that same chapter, it says, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. That's Jesus who became flesh, lived among us. So we got the written word, we got the living word, and in tandem, those two things that are really not uh, one thing, but, or two things, but actually one, um, the source of light is Jesus. So back to John 8, 12, Jesus made this, this is the whole statement. Then Jesus spake again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. That, that's a promise. If you have Christ as the light of the world, you will not run out of batteries. You will not run out of, you're, you're plugging in to the source with, with Jesus Christ. The more you spend time with Jesus, reading the word, um, you'll be more uh, illuminated in this dark world. By the way, there's an Old Testament picture I love about this, and it's in Exodus 34, verses 29 through 35. And um, it's the story, remember when Moses came walking down Mount Sinai with the two tables of stone, and he saw the people partying nakedly around the golden calf, and he threw the, there's a joke, you know, why was, who was the most evil man in the Bible? Moses, because he broke all the Ten Commandments at once. Um, that's a, not really the way it is, but he did throw down, bust the, he had to go up and Xerox a copy with the Lord up there on Mount uh, you know, uh, Sinai. And he came down the second time. And do you remember when the people saw Moses, what did they notice about him? His face shone like the sun. Man, it was bright and shiny. And he's like, there's Moses walking down. Charlton Heston is what I picture from the 10 Commandment movie. And he walks down, mm, mm, mm. Moses is just like glowing there. And people are like, whoa, that's so bright. What's happened to Moses, you know? And Moses, he, he, the, the Old Testament sort of leaves us thinking that Moses was just being courteous. Oh, sorry, <laughs> my face is so bright. Uh, so he puts a veil over his face, a bag or something over his head so that people, um, so that people uh, didn't you know, see too much brightness. But the New Testament actually tells us there's a reason uh, why Moses actually covered his face. And it wasn't because he was being courteous. Um, in fact, I'll show you this verse. It's kind of funny. It's 2 Corinthians 3, 13 through 14. Um, and this is a long separate discussion when you're talking about the context here, but it says, and not as Moses, which put a veil over his face that the children of Israel could look, not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished, but their minds were blinded for until this day remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. So we can talk about the meaning of that whole thing, but there's something we take away from this. And that is that phrase that Moses put a veil over his face so that the people couldn't see the, the word there, the end of that which is abolished. That's a fancy way of saying his fading glow. Moses didn't want people to see that his glow was fading. Oh, he's not as bright as he was yesterday. He didn't want them to see. So he put a veil over his face. 
Does anybody remember though, when Moses' you know, glowingness started dimming down, what did Moses do to get recharged? Anybody? Yes, he'd go into the presence of the Lord. And, and in that time, he would do it uh, there in the tabernacle. He'd go to the tabernacle and spend time with the Lord. And then he'd get recharged and he'd walk out again. And people, ah! oh, sorry, <laughs> they put his veil back on uh, to make sure. Like there was a recharging that Moses needed. And I think that's a great illustration when Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And then in our text this morning, he's saying, you are the lights in this world. You and I are glow condemned, just like Moses. What a great picture. And uh, sometimes we see our glow dimming and you're kind of like, man, I'm not as bright as I was. And your wife might be saying, yeah, you're definitely not as bright as you once were. Uh, But uh, no, how do you get recharged? Uh, You spend time in God's presence. You be in the word, worshiping, being with the church people. uh, And you make sure you're tapped into where the power is, that you're plugged in. Uh, Very, very important. Um, By the way, on this, uh, the power of, of the light, it also, I think, is the power that helps you do good works. Did you see what Jesus said? Let's go back to our text here for a second. Um, But there in verse 16, Jesus ends this whole thing about the light when he says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father, which is in heaven. Um, One of the things that being a, a Christian that is a child of the light is hopefully that light translates into good works. You're doing good things, being loving and kind and gracious helping the poor. Like James talks about, you know, the, the pure and undefiled religion is this, caring for the, the orphans and for the widows and caring for people and loving people. That's the good works. The, the world needs to see that kind of light out of the Christian church. Uh, not just exposing darkness, that's part of our job, but also doing good works, that's part of the deal. But, but we have to be careful not to think that, the reason I bring this up is because you and I that know we're saved by grace through faith and not of our works, I've noticed there's a tendency if we're not careful to say, so who cares about good works? Um, Because man, we're saved by grace. (laughs) Ha ha, I'm gonna make it to heaven so I don't have to worry about good works. Well, that's not true. Um, The Bible says, and James talks about, faith without works is dead. So you're saved by grace, that's true, through faith. But if you're saved by grace through faith, one of the natural byproducts of that is gonna, you're gonna see good works and the light of Christ is gonna shine through you through those good works. People get confused on this. I love what Charles Haddon Spurgeon said about this. He said, let the light of your purity and your good works be as bright as possible. Yet, let not the light be your own praise and glory, that's important, but let it be clearly seen that your good works are the result of sovereign grace for which all the glory must be given to your Father which is in heaven. You know, any good works that you and I do, it's a result of God being gracious and saving us through faith. I love old Spurgeon from the 1860s, uh, 1850s. He, he gave some powerful sermons on this very stuff. So all that to say, um, number one, do you know that it's dark? Number two, do you know where to plug in to the power source? But then thirdly, have you flipped on the switch? Uh, you might say, but that's, that's ridiculous. Nope, because there's people that say, oh, Jesus is a nice teacher and a good prophet and was a wonderful person, but have they accepted him as Lord and Savior? You, there's gotta be a time and a place where you flip the switch and say, I'm gonna officially tap in. Um, it's like you guys that, uh, and gals that do uh, electrical work around your house. You're gonna change out a light switch or something. And uh, you, know, you gotta make sure that the switch is off before you start messing around, right? Some of you guys are crazy. I know you do it while the switch is still on, but uh, I don't do that because uh, it's too shocking. But, <laughs> but, um, but uh, you know, the, the thing is, there's people that tiptoe around Jesus and around the church, but they never really flipped the switch and said, I'm gonna accept Christ. One of the things that I think is dangerous that's out there is there's a lot of churches that are trying to say, oh, it's, can you really accept Jesus with a prayer? And can you really, uh, you know, just say a word from your mouth and, and just, you know, and, and from your heart and then suddenly be saved? Like, are you efficient? Like, there's people that are sort of downplaying that. But here's the thing. They're wrong about that. Um, being saved does happen in the Bible. You can hear stories about that. Remember the Philippian jailer? Uh, he was there unsaved, was ready to kill himself because he thought he lost his prisoners there in the book of Acts. And then eventually Paul and the guys ran out, don't hurt yourself. And they explained to him the gospel and he gets saved that very day. Why? Because he made a decision and he accepted Jesus and got baptized. Like the guy did just made a, Jesus told Nick at night, huh? 
Yeah, Nicodemus at nighttime. Remember Jesus met Nick at night? And, and, and Nicodemus was supposed to be some big teacher there in Israel, but Jesus said, don't you understand, Nick? You gotta be born again. You were born in death. There's gotta be a rebirth. And Nick said, you mean you're supposed to climb in your mother's womb and be born a second time? And Jesus is like, oh, really? Are you really a teacher in all of Israel, he says? Uh, and he had to explain them. There's a, there's a process of being born again and, and being saved. It's so important, you know, like it's amazing to me that people forget this. And, and you know, the, I, I always quote this verse uh, almost every Sunday and I, I do it because this is such a clear description of flipping on the switch. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. There's a, just an if then. For you, logical, math, computer, engineering brains, this is, this is not artsy at all. This is just very clear on, off, yes, no, uh, X, O, zero, one, whatever you wanna do. Um, I love how clear this description is of what a person needs to do to be saved. But before your light can shine, you might be sort of plugged in and think Jesus is awesome and hang around churches, but have you been born again? I, I'll tell you, there's a story I'll never forget of Athey Creek, this, this little old lady. And I'd, I'd, I'd noticed her around for several years, but it was, a, a, for a few years, I noticed she had a particular glow and she was nearing 90. And she'd always sit up in this area when we were back at the school, at the old uh, Athey Creek Middle School. But, um, but I remember just noticing how joyful she was and, and she'd come up after the service and we'd talk a little bit. I always loved talking with her. Um, but uh, I've, I've, one time I thought, you know, she's just so great. I said, how long have you been a Christian? And I was expecting, you know, 80 years or whatever, because, uh, you know, sometimes you hear that. But she said, I've been saved for two years. I was like, what? And in my head, I'm, I'm doing the, and I remember she'd been there uh, and I thought, boy, that's interesting. And then I remembered something. I do remember her actually, uh, and I don't know why I forgot this, but, but she, on one Sunday, two years earlier, she said, I've been a Christian for two years. And she said, Brett, you led me to the Lord. I, I, I was here sitting in the service and you invited us to accept Jesus. And I raised my hand and I looked up and, and I accepted Jesus. And I was like, oh yeah, I kind of forgot about that. And then I realized that's when I started noticing that she had a particular joy and even kind of a glow about her. And she said, Brett, you don't, I said, I said, you know, tell me your story a little bit. And she explained she had been going to church since she was a baby. She'd gone to church all her life, but the churches she attended never once said, you must be born again. They never said, you gotta accept Jesus Christ as your personal savior. And she said, Brett, I had no idea. I wasn't even saved. I thought because I went to church and I owned a Bible and my parents were claiming to be Christians. And she thought, she said, for most of my life, I thought I was saved. And then she said, the day I accepted Jesus, my whole life changed. And, and she talked about how the power of God just flooded her life at that moment. Um, I wonder how many people are wondering about this Christian thing and I've been going to church. No wonder people say, I don't like going to church. I don't like God's people. And people are a bunch of hypocrites and they get all critical. It's because they haven't turned on the power switch. They haven't been born again. I hope you've not made that mistake. And it reminds me of those verses we've shared even recently, like in Matthew 15, eight, people draw, Jesus said, this people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They're not really, they don't know me. The scary verse I pointed out last week was Matthew. Um, we're gonna read this in a few weeks, chapter seven. Many will say to me that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name and in thy name cast out devils and done many wonderful works in thy name? And when then he says, I will profess to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. So sad uh, that people sort of think they're saved because they're you know, doing Christian things, but they haven't been born again. First um, John chapter uh, one, verses five through seven kind of gives us an indicator. Do you wanna do a little test to see if you're really a Christian? There's a few verses that gives us some information. Like this one, uh, it says, this then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. In other words, if you're living in darkness and saying, yeah, I like darkness and it's all good, then there's an indication you might not really know the Lord and have a relationship with the Lord. Um, it says we walk in darkness, we lie, we don't know the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another 
And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So if you're truly saved, you're gonna see two things. Number one, you're gonna have fellowship with the Lord. And remember, light and darkness cannot have fellowship one with the other. Um, where there is light, there can be no darkness. Um, so if you're living in darkness and, you know, uh, now I'm not talking about a person who's stumbling in sin or making mistakes here and there, and we all sin and we all fall short. Um, but if you're walking comfortably and just living the lifestyle of darkness, you do not have fellowship with the Lord and you walk in darkness, you're lying against the truth, um, the Bible says. But if you're walking in the light, the second component is you'll have fellowship one with another. This is why I'm always mentioning that rascal, the man that says, my church is out in the woods and I love fly fishing. I always talk about that guy. Uh, or whatever the sport is, uh, golf or motocross or whatever your thing is. You know, or, or, or those people that tend to do this, you say, why do you always put it on men, Brett? Because I hear this most from men. Uh, yeah, you know, I just, church, the, the woods, that's my church. That's the dumbest thing I ever heard. The word church is not a building or a place. It's the people. That's what the church is. And one of the signs that you're actually a Christian is you'll have fellowship one with the other, a bunch of Christian people. Um, well, Brett, I find them a bunch of hypocrites. I don't like church people. Eww. When I hear that, I cringe because that might just be an indicator that you don't like being around hypocrites. You don't like the church. You don't like this and that. And so you may not really know the Lord very well, if at all. Um, I have to admit, I'm, I'm worried for Christers. Who are Christers? Christmas and Easter people. You know, some churches are all excited, you know, at Christmas when people pile in. And I, there is something nice about that. I like when people pile into the church. And I know in these last few years, it's been weird with online and lockdowns and coronavirus and fears and all that stuff. So I, I get it now. But before all that, um, I used to be almost kind of bummed uh, when Christmas and Easter and the church would fill up a little extra because I knew that that's the percentage of people that were Christers. And if you ask them, why don't you come to church like weekly? There's an idea, come every Sunday. I don't really like church and people, hypocrites. And they, they've got their reasons, but it makes me a little nervous because of this verse. Are you really walking in the light as he is in the light? Because if you are, you will have fellowship one with another. That's the church of Jesus Christ. Um, one more sign, whether you're really saved or not. This is a long scripture, but First uh, John 2.8. Again, a new commandment I write to you, which this thing is true in him and in you. Because the darkness is past, the true light now shineth. He that saith he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness even until now. He that loves his brother abides in the light and there is no occasion of stumbling in him. But he that hates his brother is in darkness and walketh in darkness and knows not whither he goes because that darkness has blinded his eyes. Another little litmus test, am I really saved? If you hate your brother, man, I hope none of us walk around, oh, I hate that guy. Because the Bible says you're walking in darkness and that's a good sign that you really don't know the Lord and you may not be saved. Well, Brett, you said you can accept Christ with a prayer. Yes, you can. A prayer, this confession with the mouth, belief in the heart, a sincere flipping of the switch. Well, what if I did that and I still hate my brother? Explain that. I don't know how to explain it other than maybe you did the one part where you spoke it with your mouth, but did it really believe come from your heart? Because that true sign of a sincere heart that confessed Christ and spoke the faith, um, that one of the things is you're not gonna be walking around hating your brother all the time. So number one, do you know that it's dark? Number two, where's the power source? That's Jesus. Number three, have you turned on the switch? But let's get a little more esoteric. When you have a switch, did you know a more mature believer has what I like to call a dimmer switch. Do you have a dimmer switch? Whenever Debbie and I over the years have bought a house, we bought and sold like six or seven houses. Um, but the first thing I do, I talked about this earlier, I cut the breaker switch and I switch all my switches out for dimmers. <clears throat> the second thing I reluctantly confess, I get rid of all the stupid LED bulbs and put in the glory of the Lord, the Thomas Edison. Um, <laughs> When I, go to, when I go to turn on a light, I don't wanna be like, I wanna walk up and kinda go, yeah, there's a light bulb right there. Like, like I'm sorry, uh, a little bigger carbon footprint, whatever. Uh, but I, I like dimmers. Um, but here's the thing, Christians need dimmers sometimes. That is, um, like salt, there could be too much salt. Did you know there could be too much light? Um, I got a flashlight 
um, uh, that uh, I, I love. Uh, I'm, I'm a little bit of a flashlight aficionado. Is anybody else, any of you guys like flashlights? Yeah, okay, good. So you'll appreciate this, you guys. Uh, this year I got the brightest flashlight in the world. 100,000 lumens, um, and it's only this big. Um, but when you turn it on, man, that's the first thing you hear is a big fan. And you can literally fry eggs on this thing, literally. If you shine, the, I should bring it with me one of these Sundays. You guys will love this. If I shine the light on that wall right there, you guys couldn't even look at the wall. It's so bright, it's, it, it's crazy. But um, it, it's, it's kind of cool because, uh, you know, I like to impress my friends, but I've noticed like when I go outside at nighttime and actually use it, you can't use it, it's too bright. Like whatever you're shining it at, I can't even see because it's just like, <laughs> fortunately there's a setting and you can dim it down, you know, and, and I usually put it like only on the, you know, the 70,000 lumens is when things start coming back into clear, clear picture. But, but I, I think Christians are a little bit like that sometimes. Sometimes we can be too salty and sometimes we can be too bright and there's times to dim it down and there's times to turn it up. And, and having that nuance, I think, is something that's important. Um, you know, I think shining too brightly, it's like when Debbie and I were driving downtown a few years back, um, downtown Portland, and some guy had a Bible in his hand, he's at the stoplight. Debbie and I are sitting in our car at the stoplight, and this guy, repent, the kingdom of heaven is ahead, and he's spit coming out of his mouth, and he's like, got his Bible, and, and he's right here by our window, and Debbie and I just kind of looked at each other, and she said, boy, that really makes me want to have the love of Christ. And I thought, she's right, man. That's, that's, now, whether that guy's even saved or not, I don't know. Uh, it didn't feel like Jesus to me, but that's just coming on a little too strong. I'm pretty sure no one accepted Jesus because of that guy's ministry. Sometimes we can be a little too bright and we gotta tone it down. Blinding people with too much uh, light, dimmer strip, a switch. Not just dimming your faith, but the idea is we need to be that warm glow that's inviting, a sitting on a hill that people look up and say, ooh, that's, that's where I wanna be. Not a glow, a glow, not a glare. That's kind of the, the important thing there. And then one more before we pack it up, almost done. Number five, is your light hidden? Jesus said, nobody lights the candle and hides it under a bushel. Um, do you remember the little kid song we used to sing as kids? We need to bring that back to, and we need to sing it like here in the big church with adults. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. Uh, hide it under a bush, what? Oh no, because <laughs> I'm gonna let it shine. Don't let Satan. You don't say blow, come on. You go, don't let Satan, it out. That's the way you do that. I'm just telling you, come on. I'm an old children's pastor, so forgive me, but that's a great old song. Don't let Satan it out. I'm gonna let it shine. But it's funny because Jesus said nobody does that, but what they do is they take a candle and light it and they put it up on a candlestick. Why on the candlestick? So that it lights the whole room. And again, my challenge to you and me on this Sunday morning is, are you salty enough today? And have you hid your light? Man, this is probably the number one problem with the light issue. Just like maybe the number one problem with the salt issue is we've lost our flavor and we become good for nothing. In the same way, if we're hiding our light, we become a waste of time. And we're living in a dark, dark, dark day. We already established that. And it's time for you and I to not be hidden. See, here's what's happened. The last decade, particularly, I'm gonna say, you know, like we talked about last week, it started with, hey, you Christians, don't be intolerant, diversity, inclusion, and they talked about all this stuff, telling us what to do, and the church kind of freaked, oh, we're, we're not intolerant. Remember I told you we don't believe in intolerance. We believe in love. Like, don't tell us to just tolerate people. Uh, we love people, that's what Christians do. Um, and we, we need to not pipe down, but we need to pipe up. And we've listened to the world. So now some of you work at Intel and you're quivering in your cubicle. Because man, if they find out that you didn't get the vax or if you didn't, you know, if you didn't, if, you're, if you had the 10 commandments, are you carrying your Bible in your office or, or if you love Jesus? Man, at Intel, I know this because I know some of the Intel people, they tell me, yeah, you don't let people kind of know that. You could lose your job. Nike's even worse. I would say, just do it, man. Just be a Christian. <laughs> just, just, just be a Christian. Man, I, I, I can tell you stories. I, I've run out of time, so I'm not gonna tell you stories. But, but there's so many Athe Creekers that have chosen to say, you know, I'm just gonna let my light shine. And you know what's amazing? I've seen people both get, even though they were being Christians at Nike and Intel, the Lord was still blessing their work. 
and Nike couldn't fire them because they were too good at their job. I know those stories. I also have stories of people that got fired because they were Christians um, and they didn't really say it that way, but it was kind of clear that was the point. And you think, oh, that's bad. But in every situation I can think of, um, that person got a better job somewhere else afterward. The Lord just covers. Uh, there's a guy in our church I just talked to last week. He was working for Nike for years and years. Um, he didn't get fired, but they were, they, he was one of those guys, they, he, they couldn't fire him, but they did let him work from home because he didn't do this and that and the other. And, and so, so but, but, you know, but he never really got a raise or promotion. It was made clear to him that it was because he was a, a Christian. They, they, you know, one of the, the people kind of told him that covertly and said, yeah, the reason you haven't advanced. Um, but long story short, another company came in and said, we'll pay you like twice what you make um, uh, at Nike. And so he's like, okay, cool. So he went to that job. Well, Nike came back and said, oh, no, no, no. Hey, what do we need to do to keep you at Nike? And they, they, they were pretty much begging and pleading. And the guy was like, mm, you know, you guys probably should have done this like 15 or 20 years ago, honestly. And he said, no, I, I've got a better job now. But th that's the Lord taking care of his people. My God shall supply your needs according to his riches and glory. And I think we Christians have cowered with our lights under a bushel, hiding it because we're afraid of this, losing our job or the neighbors thinking we're crazy or our family members, you know, leaving us, whatever the thing is, you have to ask the question, are you one of those Christians that are a little bit hiding your, your Christianity, your light? Let your light so shine before all men. That's what Jesus tells us to do. And you and I have a very clear job in front of us. The question is, are we gonna do it? That's the question. Lord, I pray blessing upon these, your people, as we go our way this morning, fill these new believers with that power and the joy and the light of life, Lord. And for all of us, may our light so shine before all men. Help us, Lord, to, to practically apply this even to our lives starting now. In Jesus' name, amen.